Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Matt Bronner. And he started his real estate career in 2011, co-purchasing a Minneapolis townhome with five other partners. Uh, this led them to forming Minnesota Capital Management. By reinvesting their profits, they were able to buy four to five townhomes annually. And by 2015, they were able to scale to 75 units. And by 2018, he was able to eventually leave his full-time job to lead MCM full-time. And in 2018, they established Northwoods Servicing for their managing their Twin Cities portfolio. So Matt, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm well, Eileen. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you so much, Matt. So Matt, we gave a brief overview of your bio. I know there's so much more in there. Can you give us a little bit more of insight of you know, your background and how you got started with real estate? Absolutely. So I call Minnesota home. I uh, have to be really intentional about that once we get into the winter here to let people know that we choose to be here, but very proud to be from Minnesota and the Midwest. Uh, graduated from college in 2007, was all set to go to medical school when I decided I didn't want to be a doctor. So pro tip, don't go to medical school if you don't <laughs> want to be a doctor. That's, that a, that's a good tip. <laughs> that is a good tip. <laughs> Took on a unique opportunity with a nonprofit and then uh, moved to the Twin Cities here in 2011, started working for Target at their corporate office. And I'd love to tell everyone that I was so smart and did all this analysis as to why real estate. But the fact of the matter is it was 2011. We saw a lot of townhomes, my partners and I, that were selling for roughly 50% of what it had cost to build them. And so the analysis was these things have to be worth more than 50%. And so we bought townhomes and just simply trying to cash flow them. And that's what we thought you did in real estate. And so we just continued to buy more townhomes. And I've been very blessed along my journey, specifically with the people that have been alongside me. Uh, anything that we've accomplished, we've accomplished together. It's not anything that I've done on my own. We got into syndication in around 2015, not really knowing what that was. Uh, we were like, is this legal? How does this work? Who goes on title? All of those types of questions. Because our whole mindset was we do absolutely everything. And then in around 2019, we started to invest outside of the Twin Cities. We've been really active uh, in markets down south and some other Midwestern markets as recently as this past year. And then things have come full cycle for us as we have uh, started to invest more in the Twin Cities here again. So it's been an amazing journey to be a part of. I, I still learn a, a ton every single day and really enjoy what I do. So when you guys are first started out uh, and you purchased that first townhome, how did you even know that it was what it cost? And how did you know that the value was 50% less of what it cost to build? So we bought it off of the MLS. Uh, it was an interesting... In 2011, there was so much distress in the market. You'd open up the MLS every day and there'll be all these homes uh, that were listed there. And obviously, you can search historicals and see what things sold for. You could see what the first buyer uh, paid for the property. We knew what 
generally it was costing to build homes at that time. Uh, and you're seeing like, oh my goodness. And a lot of that had to do with some of the nuances of how you finance a property within an HOA that things dominoed so quickly there. Townhomes were a good way for us to get started because we could amortize our risk. Uh, we were six guys total with W2 jobs. And so it was like, okay, I have a little bit of money, but what, what happens if something happens to the roof, the exterior of the property? And so if you had a well-financed uh, HOA or well-capitalized HOA, that was one way to mitigate that. So then how did you have that conversation between you and the other five guys to determine that you guys are going to purchase this townhome? Did you guys have a conversation? Did Are these people within your network? Like, How did that partnership come to be? These are all, by and large, people that I met at Target. So either we were working too hard at Target or not enough. I, I don't know. But uh, we had an investment club where we would get together and drink beer once a month and talk about stock. And we send, tended to spend more time drinking beer than we did talking about stocks. And there was one guy who said, hey, if you're interested in really making some significant investments, come to Denny's uh, in about two weeks. And so there were six guys that we all knew one other person in the group, but that just showed up. And I share that story intentionally because we've certainly gotten more sophisticated as time has gone on in our business. But it was really the willingness to take a risk and show up. It's funny how true cliches become the older you get in life. I forget who to attribute the quote, the quote to, but I believe there's a quote out there like 50% of life is just showing up. So uh, I happened to show up at the right meeting and willing to lean in and write a check for most of the cash I had to my name at that point in time. My thinking was purely, you know, I'm young, no one's depending on me to eat. I feel really employable. If I lose this money, that well, that sucks, but I, I still feel like this is a risk worth taking. When at that time, though, since this is the first time it sounds like the six of you had come together to uh, pursue an investment together, pool your money together, how did you set things up? Or what was the conversation around who's going to be doing what how are you guys going to manage and split the profits? Like that whole business side of things, especially, you know, going into business together, being it the first time as well. You know, one of the benefits of not starting with much is that you don't have much to argue over. <laughs> so <laughs> there, there wasn't a, a giant pot of money sitting there like, well, what about this? What about this? And that's certainly uh, those discussions have become more pertinent as the company has scaled. But as we got in, a lot of that just happened simultaneously. Uh, you know, you, you go around to banks and say, hey, I've got this idea. I want to buy some townhomes and rent them out. It's 2011. A lot of banks are like, that sounds great. Show us your track record. Show us your balance sheet. We're like, ah, that's where you come in. They're like, well, come back to us when you actually can show us a track record as a company. And so we had to have the funds in one partner's account so that they could get loans in their name and then quit claim the property over to the company so that the company could have a track record there. So I was literally writing a check to a partner as we're still finalizing things with the operating agreement because we wanted to grow and we wanted to have a, a meaningful company there. So at the end of the day, it came down to trust. Like these were men that shared my values in life and I was willing to lean into a, a little bit of appropriately calibrated risk, I'll say, uh, that enabled us to, to not get stuck in some of the conversations that I see people do. And I don't want to diminish any of those. You shouldn't just throw caution to the wind. But I, I see a lot of people who are like, well, trying to solve for every iteration of problem that they could face uh, before they've actually done anything. And I, I think that can be really sad. You don't want that to stand in the way of your progress there. 
And then did anybody in your group have prior real estate investing experience or anything like that? And if they didn't, how did you guys know what were the next steps? You know, you talked about the operating agreement, the legal documents. How did you start to gain that information to start putting those together so that you can start building out a company for the future? I think if we've done anything well, it's been a willingness to be humble and to ask questions. So we owned our own homes, but that was it. And so it was, okay, well, who else do we know that has done this? What what do they say that we should do? And that's really been the medium that we have grown as a company. It's constantly being willing to ask questions about what people are doing and to be open to new ideas and to better ways of even executing our own current business. And, and we've taken on new business lines since we bought the first townhome. And it's always been because of that, of asking others who are in this and taking a genuine curiosity there. So then you brought the first townhome, you said uh, 50% off. And what happened afterwards? How did you guys get into the second, third, and then you started scaling to four to five every single year? How did that come about um, so quickly? So we just wanted to keep growing and investing the business. We were young. And so we had a a pretty long time horizon, uh, still do. But so the idea was that we were going to plow everything back into the business to keep growing this over time. And so we bought the first one, we found a resident, we were able to cash flow the mortgage and the expenses, and it was, okay, well, there's instant equity here. Let's go ahead and do this again. Uh, And so it simply became rinse and repeat from there. And then that one, the next ones, you guys continue to pull in your own personal capital into the next couples until you got into syndication. Correct. And then we also structured some unique investments. Uh, This was a time when the stock market was in particularly going like this. And so we took on some fixed rate debt investments with friends and family who had said, hey, you know, we can pay you an above market return and and we can cut out the volatility there. And so that gave us capital to continue expanding at a more aggressive rate. So how about the management of the properties afterwards? Were you guys managing all of this in-house just between the group of you and then Did you run into any issues, especially in the first year, two years, um, as you started to learn more and more about, you know, being a landlord, owning properties? Yeah, I've got a a pretty good book going right now that says, so you think you want to be a landlord? And we can spend a lot of time walking through stories of uh, things that we've dealt with. Uh, Early on, we just did everything together. You know, I've got emails of us voting whether or not to accept the resident uh, based on their application. And as we grew over time, the business got more sophisticated and thus we've gotten more specialized there. But our model when we got into it was that we had to do it all. Like we, we didn't know that you could go hire another property management company. I'm really grateful that we didn't because uh, what I've learned about real estate, I've learned the hard way. And I've learned by doing it, right? Like I've done every single job that there is when it comes to rental real estate. Like I have taken on all the maintenance repairs. I've done turns. I've done showings. I've gone to housing court. And that helps you appreciate the business at scale if you've done it at a ground level. 
And then at what point can you share a little bit when you decided or when you, I guess, maybe the group started to run out of your own personal capital or doing out the private loans to your uh, friends and families as well, offering them um, you know, some stake in the company as well and preferred capital for yourselves um, and for them as well as investors. Can you talk about that transition and how did that happen and come about um, as you started to grow more and more within your own portfolio? So that was pretty early on because we knew that we only had enough cash between the six of us for one home there, all starting out pretty early in our careers. And so uh, we immediately were looking for ways to scale there. And uh, we were able to utilize that investment vehicle for um, several years, uh, not currently actively uh, seeking any investments there, but uh, it has been really fruitful and, and allowed us to scale quickly there. And it was, again, a lot of trial and error of, okay, like, what do we have that we can offer? Like, okay, we can, because we were buying at such a discounted rate relative to the rent prices, there was strong cash flow off of those. So that enabled us to pay um, some higher fixed rate returns. So again, these were debt instruments. And then that also, when we're not having to give up equity in the company or go through a really complicated process, frankly, we didn't know a lot of the terms that you just threw out, right? Like preferred equity, our eyes would have glazed over when we would have, if we would have brought that up when we started back in 2011. It was simply a, we need more capital to grow. What do we have to be able to offer and leaning in and getting better at it over time? So for you, Matt, when you're growing your business as well, how did you decide to also start branching out of the Minnesota uh, Minnesota markets and then look into other different markets at that time? You know, it's a pretty small community of people that buy and trade apartment buildings. And so as we were fortunate to scale into some larger assets, we uh, just simply continued to network. Uh, and there were other people around the Twin Cities area who'd been incredibly successful investing out of state. Uh, at that point in time, that appealed to us because, and I come back to this, because there's definitely been some learnings along the way. I think you can be successful investing out of state, but it's, it's definitely not a silver bullet. Uh, Minnesota had become and still is a tough place to be a landlord. Uh, you're, you're kind of an evil guy here if you want to uh, enforce a lease and collect rent. Uh, exactly on time. And so we started looking to more landlord-friendly states. Uh, we've kind of come back as we believe strongly in having a presence in your backyard. And there's an element of business that just requires you to be present. And it's a whole lot easier for me to be on-site at our assets in Minneapolis and St. Paul than it is to fly somewhere. Because uh, even if you can get there in the same day, it's you're not there as regularly or as quickly. And so you, you just don't have a strong enough boots on the ground presence. So at that time, you were focusing on, uh, you did some townhomes, and then you went into larger multifamily apartment buildings. Uh, for those there, what was the business plan? Were you guys looking to hold it long term, refinance it to purchase bigger properties? What did you guys ended up doing in order to, uh, you know, continue to scale and grow the portfolio? So it was the latter there in terms of strategy, we would buy distressed assets. And this was more um, a strategy we're more comfortable with when you're in a lower interest rate environment, but buying distressed assets and then we're able to execute a refinance into agency debt within 18 to 24 months. And in a couple instances, we were incredibly blessed to receive our whole uh, capital uh, injection back. Uh, and so then we had our money back, but we still had the equity in the property. We we're still able to cash flow. And it was just an a light bulb moment of what just happened here. Like, I, I, I want to do this again. Um, we specialized a lot in kind of workforce housing there, uh, just because 
that is an area that's undersupplied. Uh, we had a partner that had a really strong management firm before we had our own in-house management that understood those properties, understood the repairs, understood how to renovate those types of properties to turn over tenant bases. Uh, it's not easy doing that. I believe you can be incredibly successful there. And I think there's a strong investment thesis around, I don't need rents to go up. I just need to go fix problems. But Dealing with those types of properties for a whole host of issues is is incredibly, incredibly hard to do, but it it can be rewarding. It still led you guys to opening up or starting your own property management business and being more vertically integrated. So talk to us a little bit about how that kind of came about. And um, is it still with the same partners that you started out with? We have expanded. And so we have a, a different real estate brand that's Enduris Capital. Now, so in Minnesota Capital Management is one third of Endurance Capital. We started our own property management just purely as we grew, right? It wasn't practical for six guys to show up on the weekend and go paint a townhome in between tenants. And so it became, well, what's the vehicle that we use uh, to manage these? What's the vehicle that we use to pay people who are doing the work here, understanding more about the liability associated with uh, owning and operating property, and then seeing this as a means to scale, right? Uh, Because again, our whole model was the same entity that owns it, just does everything, and then was, all right, well, there's some ways to better protect ourselves here and to ultimately scale the business over time. How did you also overcome within the partnership as well? Because as you're making all these different types of business decisions and looking at the direction you want to take the business, opening up a uh, new leg of the business as well, when there was a maybe a conflict or a disagreement of how you guys wanted to run things or a decision to be made, how did you guys resolve that issue, you know, and come together to be able to move forward? The basics remain pretty true. We have first and foremost surrounded ourselves with good, smart, honest people, but good, smart, honest people can disagree. Uh, Really trying to listen to one another's perspective. And we've got six people that make up Minnesota Capital Management. Now, there are people who do uh, the work day to day. And so there's certainly more decision making power that's yielded to them uh, as part of a necessity for growth. But then uh, I would also say we've learned that, and it's probably towards that ladder, that you can't get to a point where it's um, decision by consensus. Uh, Decision by consensus can become death by consensus. Uh, But we ultimately have to yield to people who have touched this day to day um, to make final decisions for us and be accountable to those results, but that allow us to move expeditiously uh, as we look to grow our company. What did it take to start up the property management company, especially from the early on stages? And then how did you start to grow that side of the business? You know, and we don't do a whole lot of third-party management. We're pretty much managing just what we own right now. But uh, it was starting a new entity. And it really relates to kind of, as people talk to me about real estate now, kind of the advice that I give, um, there's nothing passive about real estate unless you're purely a passive investor. I I don't consider the work that I do passive. I, I have a job, right? And this is a, a full-time commitment. And to grow what we were doing and to manage uh, in-house a significant amount of assets, that, that was a significant risk. That involved me quitting my job, my, my partners committing to financial resources to support me and my family. But that doesn't happen if if I don't quit my job. Um, Side hustles stay side hustles until you make a commitment and put time and resources behind them. How did you come to that decision, especially 
being it that it's going to affect not only your family, but also, uh, you know, within the partnership as well, you allowing you to be full time within the business, you know, managing the properties that you guys all own right now. How did you come to that decision eventually to make this life changing decision to go into real estate full time? You know, it had been brewing for some time. Personally, my wife and I, we were living down in Texas at the time. Uh, we thought we were, we were just outside of Austin, had a home. We thought that's where we were going to spend the rest of our lives. But, and I can't talk about this without talking about my faith, but I just really felt called by God to be planted. I needed to work, worship, and play all in the same place. And so uh, running this company full time, became that opportunity. Uh, I was in a job where I was traveling nonstop and just, yeah, I lacked a feeling of being rooted. It was really hard for my family, my team to, to set consistent rhythms there. And so that's personally what led us to it. And then uh, as we just simply talked to enough entrepreneurs who said, you know, as you kind of think, if you think about like two barges um, in water, you're never going to get them close where, hey, it's, it's so easy just to step right across the way. And it's an easy, uh, riskless transition that, that it's just not the way life works. And I think it's why, frankly, you see people who struggle with this the most are, are people who've, who've built a, or who've gained a W-2 job that, that pays them a significant amount of money. That's, that, those can be really, really tough circumstances. That, that's a tough level of comfortability to leave and go take on risk because you will never, never get away from risk in making the decision to, to be an entrepreneur. So Matt, what's next for you and your company? It's more of the same. Uh, we want to continue to buy high quality uh, assets in and around the Twin Cities, uh, manage them for cash flow. We also want to provide good, stable homes for our residents there, uh, and then to provide strong returns for both the partners and our investors there. So it's obviously an interesting time to be in real estate. We've certainly had our fair share of challenges and have our investments right now where it's all hands on deck, uh, but uh, still very bullish on the real estate business and in a particular multifamily. And how has real estate investing impacted your life, Matt? I am where I am today because of real estate investing. I'm home with my kids. Uh, we homeschool. We live out in the country a little bit uh, because of what our job my job affords us, uh, and specifically not in terms of lifestyle of making a lot of money, although I, I am fortunate I make enough money to, to support my family in that regard, but um, being planted, being able um, to include my children in the work that I do is incredibly important to me. And, and that's all possible because of the, the type of role that I have within my team to go out and, and procure resources this way. Uh, so I'm just, you know, how people go about providing for their families is an incredibly, incredibly personal decision, but uh, I'm very fortunate to, to do what I do here. And if there's one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? I'd go back to what I shared earlier. Real estate's not passive. It is work and it is work day in and day out uh, to drive business plans and returns. You know, there's there's a role in real estate if you want to be a limited partner and that can be an incredible financial blessing. But for those that are looking to build out their own real estate portfolios, I offer nothing but encouragement, but I also all want to offer truth and saying, this is a job that you're signing up for and you need to be mentally prepared for that. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Well, I think you're seeing it right now in the current market conditions. It's those that are willing to persevere 
and not quit. Uh, there are going to be a lot of folks, even good, smart folks, um, who are going to be hurt by what's going on right now. But it, it's your ability to persevere through that uh, that that's going to allow you to find success on the other side. So, Matt, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? You know, the best place is on uh, either LinkedIn, feel free to look me up there, or on EnduristCapital.com. Awesome. Matt, thank you so much for all of your time today. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure, Eileen. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.